Father, we thank you for the word this morning in Jesus' name. We believe this word came from heaven or we wouldn't preach it at all. In Jesus' name, we thank you that the word is fresh, it's anointed, it's powerful, and it has an assignment. So, Father, with great grace and great anticipation, we receive the word in advance before it's even preached. In Jesus' name, amen. In the 17th century, there lived a man by the name of Oliver Cromwell. He was the Lord Protector of England. And he sentenced a soldier to be shot to death for his crimes. The execution was to take place during the ringing of the evening curfew bell. Except the bell didn't ring that night. You see, sometime a few hours before that, that soldier's fiancée climbed the tower that held that bell. And when she got to the top of that tower and into what they called the belfry, she began to look around and there was this just enormous bell up there. And I don't know if you know that little thing, that little apparatus that hangs down in the side of the bell, <laughs> that swings against the side of the bell when it's time to ring it. Ding and dong, man, I mean, it just it makes a lot of noise. And that bell could be heard throughout the land. When it came time to ring that bell, it wasn't just time to come in. We, we think of curfew as just time to come in, but it was time to go night-night. It was time to put your fires out, and it was time to go to bed. Well, that woman got up to the top of that tower, and she looked around. By the way, that thing that hangs down in the middle is called a clapper. She wrapped her body around the clapper in such a way that she could absorb the punishment, if you will, of that clapper when it would go against the side of that bell. And so when it came time for the execution, they brought the man out of the prison. They had the firing squad there. They knew about what time of night that bell rang, and they were just waiting for the orders. And that bell, that clapper, went against the side of that bell, and that woman just took the force. And it came back and swung the other way, and she took the force again, and again, and again, and again, till she thought she was going to pass out. But finally it quit ringing, in her head anyway. They thought, well, this has never happened before. What's going on? So they had a guy go up in the tower to see what in the world happened there. And they found the woman up there, and they went and told Oliver Cromwell. He summoned that woman to come before him to give an account for her actions. And when she came before him, she came before him with tears, much weeping. And she was bruised and broken and bloody. And he listened to her story. And he said these words right here. He said... Your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. The curfew bell will not ring tonight. First of all, that was not a random act of craziness by a woman. <laughs> what you just saw there was premeditated love. It's the same kind of love that Jesus had for us, except he didn't cling to a clapper. He clung to a cross. And he did it for you. He did it for the whole world. He did it for me. Today we still sing that song, I will cling to the old rugged cross. You ever sing that song, the old rugged cross? I will cling to the old rugged cross. I'm going to tell you something. The only reason you can cling to the old rugged cross is because he first clung to the old rugged cross. Amen? Jesus paid an amazing price at the whipping post. He paid an amazing price at the cross so that he could say, my beloved shall live because of my sacrifice. My beloved shall live because of my broken body. My beloved shall live because of my bleeding and bruised body. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, surely, they're talking about Jesus now, surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Where did he carry him at? On the cross. Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, it says he was smitten of God. Do you know what that word smitten means? It literally means to deliver a death blow. 
The Bible says he was smitten of God and afflicted. But here's the good news. It says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. I want to tell you something. When I start thinking about the love of God, it really does something on the inside of me. It gets me excited. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter to me. I don't think about you. I think about Jesus. I think about me and Jesus. I get excited when I think about how good he's been to me. And his love and his grace that he's poured out. I'm trying to comprehend what manner of love this must be. Two or three months ago, we all seen this. We watched television. We saw 21 men in orange jumpsuits walking along a Mediterranean Sea as ISIS had taken them captive. It didn't say it so much in our news, but those men were taken because of their belief in Christ. They were Christians. 21 men, young men, elderly men of all ages, some related to one another, 21 of them. Do you get the image in your head? Anyway, when they were led down there, here's before their execution took place. They all died, by the way. They said to those men, I'll tell you what, if you will renounce your faith in this Jesus, <laughs> this Jesus, we will spare your life. We'll let you live. So they stepped in front of the first man. He said, I can't do it. I can't do it. Off came his head. All the other ones are standing there watching that. Whoa, man, this is, this is not Hollywood. This actually happened. We live in a chaotic world. The only thing more powerful than hate is love. They were operating in an incredibly dense force. They stepped in front of the second guy and said the same thing. If you'll renounce your faith in this, Jesus will let you live. He said, I can't do it. And each one of those men on the soundbite, you could hear them saying just before their death, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me endure what these guys are doing to me. Not help me get to heaven. They already knew where they were going. One by one, they worked their way down the line till they got to the 21st man. And that man was not even born again. He was not even saved. But he just got through watching 20 of his relatives and friends take a stand for that name, that name of Jesus Christ. And he said, their God has now become my God. And he too was ushered out into eternity. What manner of love. It brought to my mind the, the song from Ray Boltz. He sings, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. The lyrics of that song says, I have heard how Christians long ago were brought before a tyrant's throne. They were told that he would spare their lives if they would renounce the name of Christ. But one by one they chose to die. I wish I could sing it. The Son of God they would not deny. Like a great angelic choir sings, I can almost hear their voices ring. I pledge allegiance, not just to the flag, but I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. With all my strength, with all I am, I will seek to honor His commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. What is His commands? His command is to love. That's what it is. It's not to jump through hoops. His commands are easy. They are just to simply love. <laughs> oh my goodness. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of of God. What manner of love. An evangelist years ago decided he was going to evangelize the Indians. And he went to an Indian village. And he knew the protocol. He knew he needed to talk to the chief. You don't go into an Indian village and talk to anybody but the chief, right? So he, he got in front of the chief and he told him, he said, I've got a message. I know you serve many gods, but I've got a message from the one and true God. And it was just like God was giving him this favor. He said, but I'd like to preach this message uh, to your people. 
That chief crossed his arms and he said, you know what? I'm going to let you do that. And that chief summoned everybody. I mean, everybody in that village. When the chief tells you to come, you come. <laughs> everybody in that village gathered. There were several people there. And this evangelist began to preach his heart out. And he began to preach about the greatest message in the world, the message of God's love, God's grace, God's goodness, God's mercy. But he specifically was focusing on love. And about 20 or 25 minutes into the message, the chief stood up and interrupted that evangelist. And he said, chief, give God pony. <laughs> and he sat down. And the guy, the evangelist thought, wow, that was kind of strange. But he, he kept on going, preaching more about God's love. Figured if the chief got that excited about it, oh, I want to keep preaching about God's love. 20 or 25 more minutes went by and the chief stood up again, interrupted his message. And he said, chief, give God feathers. I'm going to tell you something. You don't give your feathers away if you're a chief. Chief, give God feathers. And he sat back down. 25, 30 minutes later, he stood up for the third and final time, and here's what he said. Chief, give God chief. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You see, let me think about this for a second now. The pony represented finances. It's a, it's a horse, right? God's not so much interested in the horse. I mean, yeah, he'll take it and propagate the message of the gospel. It wasn't really the horse he was after. And he wasn't really after the headdress. What he was after was the heart. He was after the heart. And the chief finally got the message of God's awesome, amazing love, and he just couldn't help it. He said, chief, give God chief. God and love always wins, friends. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, we find these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a lot of love. Love God with everything you've got. Don't hold anything back. It's not worth it, really. Don't hold it back. Love Him with every resource you've got. Your voice, your talent, your time, your treasure. Whatever God has given you, love Him. Love Him. Love Him. He's worth loving. He first loved us. I want to preach for a little while this morning a message that I'm calling, Chained by Beauty, What Manner of Love? You hear us from time to time, new people here that have not heard this concept, but there's something we talk about, the law of first mention. We began to first hear about it with Joseph Prince a few years ago, but what it literally means is any time a word is used for the first time in the Bible, it literally sets the stage that every time that word gets used, it would get used with that capacity and that power and that authority. So when I see words in the Bible, I want to go back and I want to say, okay, God, where does this come up for the first time? So if we take this word love, and boy, it's in the Bible hundreds and hundreds, there's no shortage of love. So where does this word come up for the first time? God, you're the one who wrote the Bible through holy men, so you're the one who organized it all and put it all in order. Where does it come up for the first time? It comes up in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. God said to Abraham, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. In the Hebrew, his name is pronounced Yitzhak. Yitzhak. Take thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. <laughs> There's that word. Meditate on that for just a second. God is saying to Abraham, and Abraham heard him clear as a bell. When God said, Abraham, I've got something for you to do. I want you to take your son, just so you know his name's Isaac. <laughs> He's your only son, I understand that. But, and I know you love him, Abraham, but I want you to take him to a place, a mountain. I'm going to show you where the mountain's at. And here's what I want you to do to your son. I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering on that mountain. Is that in the Bible? 
That's in the Bible, right? I'm not making this up. That's in the Bible. Seems kind of weird, doesn't it? Because when you sacrifice things, you cut it in four pieces and laid it on the altar, and then you lit fire under it. God actually told somebody to do that. He sure did. It's in the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. And then, of course, we know the story. What happens is Abraham is obeying God. Now, God is never going to let anybody, he's not going to command anybody to really go through with everything. There's something for us to learn. There's something for us to teach us something. So Abraham did exactly that. Can you imagine what that journey must have been like as they walked along? I mean, they must have been talking as they went along. Abraham already knows what God told him to do. Isaac's not aware of it yet. So he's like, hey, Dad, what are we, what are we doing today, Dad? I'm with you, Dad. Yeah, Dad. Oh, you know, just having a good old time talking, reminiscing. And all the time they're moving along, Abraham's going, hmm, I know what God told me to do. Oh, man. And so he does it. He ties him to an altar, and he brings the knife back to slay his son. And as the knife is coming down, he hears a voice from heaven. The Bible says an angel spoke from heaven. It was Jesus, no doubt. But an angel spoke from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. And Abraham stopped. And he looked over in the bush, and there was a ram caught by its horns in the thorns. Is that a picture of Christ? Well, that ram's a picture of Christ. That is the picture of the thorns that was upon his head. That was the sacrifice right there. And so Abraham went over and got that ram, that lamb, and he cut it and sacrificed that lamb. Powerful imagery. So one of the things that we've taught in here is that Abraham and Isaac, When you read the Old Testament, what you want to look at is you want to look at the imagery. You want to look at the types and shadows, because what they're trying to show you is what's going on in our covenant, in the New Testament. So Abraham, there's no question about it, Abraham's a picture of God. He's the father. He's our spiritual father, if you will, the father of faith. Abraham is a picture of the father. Isaac is a picture of his son. Makes sense, doesn't it? What you see in that scripture right there, verse 2, is you see the first time that word love comes up, it comes up talking about sacrifice. What you want to do is when you see, when you're reading things, you want to see what is the context. And so what you see here is you see a sacrificial love. There's no question about it. That is the most awesome love there is. It is a sacrificial love. God, what about people who are going to say, you know, Isaac didn't really die that day. Nope, he didn't. Not in the natural anyway. But I'm going to tell you something. In the heart of hearts, Abraham had already sacrificed him. The second he said, son, let's go. He had already committed, and that's what God looks at. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Bible says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So he was able to look beyond and before and during all those situations and say, I see, I see what you're willing to do for me, so I count it done. It's the same thing as our righteousness with God. We are credited righteousness because of what God sees, not because of what we see. It's because of what he does. I said, Lord, where's the second mention of love? I want to see the very next time it comes up. It's only two chapters later. It's in chapter 24. And it says these words. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. There's that word love. He loved her. It says that Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent. Do you know what Sarah represents in the Bible? 
She represents the covenant of grace. Sometimes I don't have time today, but go and look at Galatians chapter 4. What you're going to see is you're going to see uh, that Abraham had two wives. One was Hagar, and it says she's the mother of the law, and Sarah, who's the mother of grace. So what Isaac did is he brought Rebekah into the covenant of grace. Who is Isaac a picture of? We've already determined he's a picture of Jesus. He's a picture of Christ. He's a picture of the Son. Then who would Rebekah be a picture of then? Rebecca would be a picture of us. She's the bride. We are the bride of Christ. Revelation. We are the bride of Christ. And so you see in this type and shadow is what God is doing is he's taking Rebecca and he's bringing her into the covenant of grace with his son. Do you see that? That's a pretty picture, isn't it? Oh, I'd love to have a picture like that hanging on my wall. So the first mention of love is between a father and son, God and Jesus, and the second mention of love is between the son and his bride, or Jesus and the church. That all by itself will just do wonders in your heart. Isaac, what does his name mean? Laughter. <laughs> if I were to ask you right now, just get a picture of what Jesus looks like in heaven. Everybody's picture would be different. The biggest part of the church just think he's sitting on a throne with his arms out like my grandpa used to sit on the, in the lazy boy, never smile, never talk to you. That's the way my grandpa was. Well, I loved him. I knew he loved me, but he had nothing to say ever. We go to visit him. I'm like, oh, kind of go to grandpa's. All he do is sit in the lazy boy and not say anything. Watch TV. Jesus ain't like that. He's not like that. I'm going to tell you something. If you could walk with Jesus today and you just say, Jesus, can you tell me some jokes? <laughs> I'll tell you what, before the sunset, you'd be in the grave because he would have you laughing so hard, your side would split open. I mean, Jesus is good. He's funny. He's, he's awesome, but he's full of love. He's full of love. Isaac's name literally means laughter. <laughs> what does Rebecca's name mean? Her name is a pretty powerful name. It means fettered. Now, there's a word you don't use every day, isn't it? F-E-T-T-E-R-E-D, fettered. It literally means chained. Her name literally means fettered by beauty. Her name literally means chained by beauty. And we think that when we hear this word chained, that it has this negative connotation. Chain? We just sang a song, you know, something about break every chain, break every chain. Listen, the only chain that you really want in life is the one between you and Jesus, okay? I mean, that chain's okay, right? You don't mind that chain, do you? <laughs> you don't mind that chain. Did you know that on five separate occasions, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now listen, today's prisoners, they get cable TV, and they get air conditioning, and they get a nice cot. But back then, they didn't get that. They got chains. And the Apostle Paul said, you know what? I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was he saying? He said, I am chained to Christ. Hey, listen, ladies, guys, listen to me here now. If there was one thing you could be chained by in beauty, I mean, there's, there would be a, a time that we'd all erase back a few years, man. I could go back. I was looking at a picture the other day, and I stumbled across a picture when I was about 25. I'm like, man, Mark, I was built. Man, I had lots of hair. It was dark. And my wife looked at it, and she said, you thought you were something else in that picture, didn't you? And I said, no, not really. That was the moment right there when I felt like I was the most beautiful. Now, we're talking in the natural now, right? And you say, just chain me in that state right there. Nobody in here would mind that, right? Nobody would mind that, right? <laughs> Every woman, what manner of love is that to chain us by that kind of beauty? As we age, all of our hair is going to turn gray or turn white or turn, I don't know, turn. Something's going to turn loose. 
<laughs> it's going to turn, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to turn. Stuff like that. It's just a part of aging. There are times, I'm 50, almost 55 years old, there's times I go up, you know, getting ready in the morning, I look in the mirror and I'm going like, where in the world did that spot come from? I didn't remember seeing that spot yesterday. Oh, okay, I'm just preaching to myself now, right? Nobody else has done that. And then I look in the mirror and I go, where did that wrinkle come from? But the truth of the matter is, it happens. But listen to what Ephesians chapter 5 says about love. He says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with, his, with the washing of the water by the word. That's what's happening right now. The word is washing you. That's why it's so important to sit under the message of God's love and God's grace, is that word washes you. I'm not talking about in your spirit. I'm talking about in your soul. I'm talking about in your mind, this stuff that gets kind of cloudy up here. The word keeps washing you that he might present to himself a glorious church. Now watch what he says. Not having spot or wrinkle. <laughs> it's in the word. Why? Why doesn't God ever see our spots and the wrinkles? Because we are chained by beauty. We are chained by beauty. He doesn't see us in the natural the way we see ourselves. He looks upon the spirit. He looks upon the heart. That he might present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, and then he, he really fills the blank in, or any such thing. I love that. In other words, it doesn't matter what you name, let's just cover the, all the bases, or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. When I read that last night, you know what I thought? That statement right there ought to be over every door in America. Both sides. That when I walk out, he that loveth his wife loveth his own body. <laughs> okay. I tell you what, we would change the world if we put that over the doorpost of our heart. He that loveth his wife loveth his own body. For no man have ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause, it says, Shall a man leave his father and mother? It was the same reason Jesus left heaven. It was so that he could come and get a bride. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, the Apostle Paul said. But, he said, I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. What is the emphasis of those scriptures? Is it about husbands really loving your wives? Is it about wives reverencing your husbands? No! The emphasis of those scriptures is how much Christ loves the church. He just had to break it down in a way we could understand. So we, he had to get in the natural. Husbands, love your wives. Okay. But the Apostle Paul said, listen, this is not really what I'm talking I want to tell you about how much God loves you. I want to tell you how much Jesus loves his bride. That's all he's doing. Abraham is the father of our faith. I don't think anybody in here would question that. He's the father of our faith. Sarah is the mother of our grace. The Bible says that in Galatians chapter 4. Did you know you can't bear children with two men. And you can't have children from two wives. 
It takes a father and a mother to produce children. And that's why when I look, and so if we see Abraham as the father of faith and Sarah as our mother of grace, and that's what the Bible says, then it makes sense to me. Now I understand, I didn't really get this until yesterday, but now I understand why Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 are so important. These have been scriptures that have been in my heart for a long time. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved. Did you hear the word grace? For by grace are you saved. There's your mama. That's Sarah. For by grace are you saved through faith. There's your daddy. It's when grace and faith come together, that's what salvation produces. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift. You know, we look at children, we say, well, oh, that's a gift from the Lord, isn't it, brother? Oh, it sure is. That's because grace and faith keep coming together, and they produce life. In Genesis chapter 24, I want you to see some of the powerful things in Genesis chapter 24. This is where Rebekah becomes the wife of Isaac, Yitzhak. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. I felt the Lord say to me these words, You will never see the beauty in anything until you are fully convinced that you are blessed. I want to tell you something. It's not arrogant to know you're blessed. Because God says it, I can say it. And I'm going to tell you something. I feel like I'm the most blessed man in America. I do. Doesn't mean I'm the wealthiest and monetarily speaking or something like that. I don't look at it from that standpoint. I am blessed. My wife and I were just kind of having a little exchange the other day. We were talking. She's like, oh, poor baby. I said, no, rich baby. Rich baby. No, no, no. You say, oh, man, Mark, it's just words. Listen, let me tell you something about words. Jesus is called the Word. You look in John chapter 1 when it opens, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, who are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus, right? The same was in the beginning with God. Now, watch what he says. All things were made by Him. Who? The Word. Let me make this more plain. Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. You know those scriptures right there? And God said, let there be light. What did the Word do? The Word created everything. And so, one of the things we have to really do is, is really just safeguard our words, speak words of life everywhere we go. And when we find ourselves speaking words of death, we find ourselves speaking words of nonsense and stuff like this, just right there say, I nullify what I just said. I, I find myself doing that from time to time. No, no, that's really, I don't want to see that come to pass. Uh-uh, I nullify what I just said. Speak words of life. So if you're going to walk in the blessings of, of Abraham, you're going to walk in the blessings of the Lord and our Father, God, then we've got to come into agreement and be fully convinced that we are blessed. So Abraham was now very old, and the Lord blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all he had, he said, put your hand under my thigh. See, this is just the way they did things back then. It seems kind of weird, but... When you swore a covenant with someone, a promise to someone, you would take your hand, put it under their thigh. And buddy, that was as good as gold. And Abraham told his main servant, he said, put your hand under here and swear. The senior servant, they call him, is a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. He's a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit because this senior servant is the one that ultimately will go get the bride for Isaac. And he will not stop until he gets the bride. He's the one that goes and gets the bride for Isaac, and the Holy Spirit is still doing that today. Isaac is a picture of Jesus, Holy Spirit that was the servant. He's the one that's out there pleading with people, come to Christ, come to Christ, wooing and calling people to come to Christ. Verse 3, 
I want you to swear by the Lord, Abraham said, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? And Abraham says, make sure that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Verse 10. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels. That will be important in just a second. Ten of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside of the town. It was toward the evening, the time when the women would come out to draw water. Then he prayed. That's a good thing, isn't it? Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. And he said these words, and show kindness to my master Abraham. That word kindness right there is the Hebrew word hesed. It means grace. It is the Hebrew word for grace. He said, listen, show grace to my master. See, he said, I'm standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown Kindness, there's that word has said again, grace. By this I will know you have shown grace to my master. Oh man, listen, get in the habit of God answering prayers quickly, okay? Here's a pattern for it. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca, who's Rebecca a picture of? The church. Rebecca's a picture of the bride. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. Watch what it says about her now. It says, the woman was very beautiful. Not just beautiful, but very beautiful. A virgin, no man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and then came up again. So it said three things that described her, that she was very beautiful, she was a virgin, and she was undefiled. Let me tell you something. Because of righteousness, because of what God has infused into our spirits, because of the love that He has shed into our hearts, that's the way He sees us at all times. He sees us very beautiful. <laughs> he sees us as totally as virgins. He sees us as totally undefiled, and there is nothing that can ever defile us again. Our actions do not defile us. Our habits do not defile us. Our thoughts, our bad thoughts, do not defile the spirit man. They can mess you up in life. Yes, I agree with that, but they don't defile you in the spirit. Why? Because we are forever chained by beauty. What manner of love? The word beautiful right there comes from the Hebrew word tov. It's actually spelled T-O-B, but it's pronounced like T-O-V-E. It comes from that word tov. And I thought, Lord, where does that word come up for the first time in the Bible? 
And you don't get very far into the Bible in, in Genesis chapter 1. I just quoted him a minute ago and it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it says in there, God said, let there be light. Watch this now. See, when you're looking for things like this, you have to look at what is the context. God said, let there be light. And the Bible says, there was light. So light responded to the word of God. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And here's what God said. God looked at light and said, that's good. That word good right there is the same Hebrew word, tov. So when he said about Rebecca, she was very beautiful. He was literally saying, she's very good. She's very good. And so what was good in there? The light was good. Light is always good. Darkness is bad. Darkness represents bondage. Darkness represents blindness. Darkness represents uh, all kinds of yucky stuff. Light always represents good. Jesus is called, he himself said in John chapter 8, he said, in verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Oh, man. When Jesus said that in John chapter 8, verse 12, when he said, I'm the light of the world, if you go back and look at the narrative just leading up to that and say, what was going on? You find a woman that was caught in adultery. And what did Jesus do for her? He gave her the gift of no condemnation. He's saying, listen, I'm going to set you free today. There is no condemnation. You know why? Because I am the light of the world. <laughs> and light doesn't condemn you. He said, listen, I'm not condemning you, but go and leave that life of sin. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, you, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. And you know what he says about that? He says, so when you go about, do good things. Do good as you go. There's that word again, good. You'll always find light and good close by each other. He says, as you go, do good things so that they will praise my Father, which is in heaven. That's what it's always been about for Jesus, saying, praise my daddy, praise my daddy, praise my daddy. Amen. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands to give him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, not he said, but she said, I'll draw water for your camels, too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. You know, when Rebecca gave this servant a drink, that didn't necessarily have to be out of love. He asked for a drink, he got it. Okay, I mean, if I go to a restaurant and say, can I have an iced tea? It's not because the waitress loves me that she brought me iced tea. It's because I asked for it. But I'm going to tell you what was her idea to water the camels. That's love. You know how much water camels drink? <laughs> Let me tell you something about camels. Camels drink between 25 and 50 gallons of water every time they drink. That's a lot of water. How many camels were there? There were 10 camels. 25 times 10 is 250 gallons of water. Even if her water jar holds five gallons, <laughs> that's 50 trips. Now, the Bible says she ran back to the well, so that means the well wasn't right here and the camels were right here. That would just look weird if you watered the camels and you ran back to the well. That, that just wouldn't happen. So there had to be some space. I don't know if it's 20 feet, 50 feet, 100 feet, a football field, doesn't matter. But if you think about the time, I mean, five gallons, you got to get it on your shoulder. You can't run with a full water pot. you got to, shh. Now you can run back if you want to. But do you know how much time this would take? I'm going to tell you something. There was one fruit that you saw in effect in her life, and that was patience. Would you agree it would take some patience? Because now we're talking about three hours just to water the camels. That would take some patience, wouldn't it? 
<laughs> what takes them? I wouldn't want a job watering camels all day long. That would take, I just would get old, man. It would have taken some patience. But when I looked over in the greatest chapter of the New Testament in the Bible, uh, when it pertaining to love, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call it the love chapter. And the first way it describes love is it says love is patient. Out of all the things it could have said, love is patient. That's the very first expression of love. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not rude. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love always wins. Love never fails. Oh, man, that would have been about 50 trips. You see, I was thinking about this. You know, you could actually, if a guy was, because this is the way they drank back then. Just they'd cup their hands, and he was just asking, can I have some water? You know, you could have just did a little step as you went by him and gave him a little water, but it was intentional when it came to watering those camels. Last night as I was meditating, I felt the Lord take me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. In those days... If you were walking along the road, let's just say my house is to that wall 10 feet away. I'm almost home. I've been working hard all day long, 16-hour days, back-breaking work. There's my house. I can smell my, my wife's cooking. Mmm, that smells so good. If a Roman soldier had me coming down the road going the other way, and he said, Hey, you, you see these heavy bags I'm carrying? I'm going that way, but I want you to carry my bags. By law, you had to carry them one mile. By law, by Roman law. You could have said, I've been working all day long. There's my house right there. Doesn't matter. You had to carry his bags one mile. But Jesus said, when you are compelled by someone to carry their bags one mile, he said, carry it two. Why would he say something so crazy? <laughs> because the law demanded the mile. Love supplied the second one. The first one worked for the Roman. The second one worked on you. There is no greater force than love. Love at work in your heart. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, born to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Do, do you hear the love story just unfolding in this? I didn't want to read all this because it's so lengthy and stuff like that. But there's such a love story that's, that's brewing here. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness. Now, two things I want to say about that. He has not abandoned his kindness. What did I say kindness meant? Is the word has said. It means grace. God has not abandoned his grace. The same thing he tells us in the New Testament. He's saying, listen, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. He said, why? Because of my kindness, because of this grace that's at work. And he says, faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to meet the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and had heard Rebecca tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord. That ought to be your testimony that we would say, listen, I am blessed by the Lord. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said, why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. 
So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before them, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I've come here to tell you. Tell us then, Laban said. So I said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become very wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. My master's wife Sarah has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. Do you hear that? He has given him everything he owns. That is the same thing God is saying to us. I'm giving you everything I have. He has given him everything he owns. You say, wait, they're talking about Isaac. We're in Isaac. So Isaac's blessing becomes our blessing. And my master made me swear on oath and said, you must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. I know he's kind of going through this story again, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, what if the woman shall not come back with me? He replied, the Lord before whom I am, who I have walked faithfully will send his angel and will make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son and from my own clan and from my father's family. You will be released from my oath if when you go to my clan, they refuse to give you to her, give her to you. Then you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, and then he goes on to say what happened at the spring, how he got his, uh, his prayer answered, and how Rebecca watered his camels. She quickly lowered the jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I'll water your camels too. So I drank and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, I'm the daughter of Bethul, son of Nahor, who Milcah bore to him. And he says, now, if you will show kindness, what is that word kindness? Has said, it's the grace of God. If you will show me grace and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, if you're not going to do it, you got to tell me too. <laughs> Either way, I got to go back with a report so that I may know which way to turn. When Abraham's servant had heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. I'm going to tell you something. You know, you can just bless people. If you see a need, just meet it. If you see a hurt, just heal it. You can bless people everywhere you go. It's easy to do. Just listen to the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you what the need is and learn to bless. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But the brother and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us 10 more days, then you may go. But he said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so that I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. Let's see what she says. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? <laughs> I will go, she said. They sent their sister Rebecca on the way along with the nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, May your offspring possess the cities of your enemies. Then Rebekah and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahe Rohi, for he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to the field one evening to meditate. Meditate. What do you suppose he was meditating about? He wasn't thinking about how many camels and sheep and donkeys he had. He was meditating on the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and His promises. The Bible says he went out to the field to get into a quiet place and just meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. 
Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from the camel. Do you know when you look up that word camel in the Hebrew, it literally says burden? She got down from the camel. She got off of her burden. And I'll tell you what, that's what the message of grace will do. It'll roll away your burdens. It'll roll away all your cares. She got down. It will put distance between you and your burden. I don't feel like I'm burdened anymore. I mean, there are times where things try to creep in, but I don't feel that way because I'm not on the camel anymore. I'm in Christ. She got down off the camel, and she asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took the veil and covered herself. Listen to the last two verses. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done, And then verse 67 says this, Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah. Remember, she is the mother of grace. She represents the covenant of grace. Isaac is a picture of Jesus. Sarah is a picture of grace. Rebecca is a picture of the bride of Christ, a picture of you, a picture of me. He took his bride, Rebecca, into grace. Do you see how Jesus just led that woman? That's who Isaac represents by the hand into the tent. The tent is a tabernacle. The tent is a dwelling place. He is the dwelling place. He is the tabernacle today. We don't have any earthly tabernacle. It's a heavenly tabernacle now. He took his bride, led her right in by grace into the tabernacle. And he married Rebekah. So she became his wife and he loved her. What does her name mean? Chained by beauty. Oh, what imagery. I'm going to close with these scriptures. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man, that Christ, that Jesus Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. That you be rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. That means understand. That means to appreciate. With all the saints, what is the breadth? What is the width? What is the length? And what is the depth? What is the height? And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm going to tell you something. I could stand and preach about the love of God from now until Jesus comes back. I told this story before, but I'll say it again. When I used to do devotions at the Life Center where we used to feed people, they'd give me 20, 25 minutes of their time, and I would preach this way I'm preaching now, but much shorter. And I had a guy come to me one day after he had sat under that ministry for two, three years, or whatever time it was, and he says, Pastor Mark, can I talk to you? I said, absolutely. He said, yeah, I really like your stories. I like the way you preach. I I like kind of your content and everything like that. He said, but you're always talking about love. You're always talking about grace. And seriously, he looked at me and said, when when are you going to preach something different? You know what I did? I looked at him and loved him. (laughs) I looked at that man and just loved him. I said, what else is there to preach about, my friend? Amen. Let me close with this story. A certain medieval monk announced to his congregation that he would be preaching next Sunday night, and he said, I'm going to be preaching on the love of God. 
And as the shadows fell and the light ceased to come in through the cathedral windows, the congregation had gathered now. In the darkness of the altar, the monk lit a candle and he carried it to the crucifix on the wall. And he took the candle and he held it up by the crown of thorns. And it lit that area. And then he moved it to the hands, the nail-pierced hands, and it lit each one of the hands. He went down to the feet, the nail-pierced feet, and then he came up to the side where the spear had been put through Jesus. And he walked back to the altar, and he blew the candle out. A silence fell over that congregation. And he walked out of the chancel, and he said, what else is there to talk about than the love of God? Friends, we have been forever chained by his beauty. What manner of love. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life. I'm going to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray, and if you've never really made Jesus the Lord of your life, this would be a great time to do it. I want you to know that he loves you beyond anybody in this world that can love you. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. I've heard your word today. I've heard about your love. I've heard about your sacrifice. I heard about that you did it for me. I heard that you're the light of the world, and I'm tired of walking in darkness. Jesus, I'm asking you to take this burden off of me. I'm asking you to separate me from that burden, and when you do it, you'll do it once and for all. Jesus, I'm asking you at this moment to come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior and my best friend. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and I will live forever with you. In Jesus' name, amen.